Hey Bulls Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Rebuild the Bull podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Gentile. And you know what? Today I had this epiphany. And it, it dawned on me today. We're about a day or less away by the time this drops from the first day of fall. And then it also dawned on me that NBA training camp is just around the corner. Bulls training camp is almost here. And once we get underway with Bulls training camp, we get media day. We get all the stories about what's going on with the the team, how they're gelling. How's DeMar DeRozan going to gel with this team? How's Lonzo Ball going to gel with this team? What kind of rotations is Billy Donovan going to come up with? Is Kobe White healthy? What step is Zach Levine going to take? Is Zach Levine going to sign an extension? What's going to happen if he doesn't sign an extension? We're going to have so many different storylines to talk about. And it's crazy how fast it's gone because more than a month ago, more than a month ago, we were celebrating the signings of Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan. More than a month ago already. Crazy how time has been flying. But I'm excited to get closer and closer to training camp and preseason. And I want to see how, how things play out. Like, I'm, I'm ready for the regular season. Like, when the regular season gets rolling here in mid-October, I am going to be glued. Because I want to see how all this comes together. And to touch on a point that I brought up earlier about the Zach Levine extension talks, look, we've seen reports from Shams. We've seen some of the rumor mill Twitter accounts and different podcasts, all the the talk shows. Bring up Zach Levine. And this is going to be a storyline. Is Zach Levine going to sign an extension now? Is he going to wait until next offseason. It'll be a storyline, but I would say this. We've heard from a lot of the local beat writers that Zach does want to be here in Chicago, and he's really taking advantage of what players in his situation should take advantage of. If he waits another year, he cashes in on a larger Supermax contract, and Like any player in the league, go get your money, man. I'm totally fine with that as a Bulls fan. I have no problem with Zach Levine doing what he has a right to do as a player. So I'm not concerned because Arturis Karnaschovas, Mark Eversley have shown Zach Levine love, right? They brought in a coach who is trying to maximize Zach's ability and has really built a, a good relationship with him. They've brought in a center that could help space the floor with him. They brought in a point guard that can push the ball up the floor in Lonzo Ball. They brought in DeMar DeRozan, who can help take some pressure off of him by creating shots and facilitating in the half court. You know, they drastically overhauled the roster to support Zach Levine, and they're showing him that they want him to be a part of this core and that this is just step one. So if the Bulls do their part and get into the playoff conversation in the Eastern Conference, whether that's them hitting their ceiling in the 4-6 to six range or they're really competitive in the play-in, you see that arrow pointing up like we all think is going to happen, then I don't think there's any doubt Zach Levine's going to re-sign with this team. I think things would have to go catastrophically wrong for him to not even consider re-signing with this team. And I'm not anticipating that. I don't think most people are. 
But this is something that's probably going to pop up. And I'm sure nationally it could linger. I want to talk about that and much more with our guest, Chris Admondson from Bulls 101 on the Barroom Network. Uh, Chris is the co-host of that podcast with Larry Golden, also known as Laro. We had Laro on a couple episodes ago. And as I told Laro when he joined us, I really started listening to the podcast as we got into the free agency movement and a little bit before that, I think, during the draft too. And I've really enjoyed their podcast. Also enjoyed just their thoughts on the Bulls and the NBA on Twitter. So really looking forward to this conversation today with Chris. So let's bring him on right now. Chris, how are you? Welcome to the Rebuildable Podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Really glad to be here. How are you doing this Monday? Uh, I, you know, I've had better Mondays. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's a Monday. We're getting closer to the fall. So like now it's like dark out. Like it, you're you're on the West Coast, right? You're I am. Yeah, I'm in California. You're in California. So, you know, here it's just gonna get colder, darker. It's just I don't know. Like I I'm kind of dreading it. But the one good thing is like we're getting closer to basketball season, so that's great. I was gonna say next Monday will be a great Monday because it's media day for the Bulls. So I and then and then yeah. training camp starts the day after. So I'm excited. Before you hopped on, that's what I was talking about. That I want to get into some of the potential discussion and uh, talking points that we're probably going to hear at media day and, and throughout training camp. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Bulls 101 because uh, as I said to your co-host, uh, Larry Golden, when he came on a couple episodes ago, we were you know talking about how I, I found the podcast just because I, I saw you tweeting a lot. I saw him tweeting a lot throughout the off season and I started listening and I went back, listened to some old episodes and I've really started to make it part of my regular rotation. So uh, tell me, how did you get into this whole podcasting business with, with many other people in Bulls Nation? <laughs> There's definitely not a shortage of Bulls podcasts out there available, no. which is, which is great for us, the consumer, right? Because you can get a lot of different flavors, different perspectives and opinions. So I always found that um, I had an opinion that I wanted to to be able to discuss, I just love talking about the Bulls and Laro does too. And, and the reason Laro and I hooked up um, to be co-hosts was we were part of a discord with Mark Karanzolis, who runs Bulls HQ out of Australia. And um, Laro is just such a great coaching mind and he has coaching experience and he just sees the game in a different way than I do. I've, I've always felt like my knowledge has more come from um, more of the analytics and team building and roster construction type perspective. And so I, I just felt we were a good fit together and we had never done anything together before. And I barely knew him and we just hit it off. And I, I, I've, it's been a wonderful experience. I mean, we, we started the bulls podcast in March of this, this year. So like mid season and people have really resonated um, and, and been really appreciative and, and, really welcoming to us because you don't know how it's going to be because like hey man like this is my this is my corner here you, you got to work another corner but it's been it's been an awesome experience and it's just been nice to be able to add to the voices that they get to talk about the bulls and it, it comes at an exciting time for the bulls i think oh yeah and one thing you're going to learn is the bulls podcasting group or community is really engaging and inviting like everybody likes to do each like go on each other's podcasts it's super open 
you know, people are going to retweet stuff all the time. It, it's definitely different than some of like the other sports podcasting communities that are out there. I find that the Bulls and NBA podcasting communities are like really, really good at kind of sharing content. And then you and Laro just have really, really good chemistry. And the point that you made there about him taking more like a coaching perspective and you take more of the analytical perspective, it's made for really good conversation and content. So I've, I've been a huge fan of it. Thank you. I mean, I appreciate that a lot. And I'm trying to get better at the X's and O's part of the game and, and Lara's trying to get better at the analytics. And uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the chemistry is there for us. At least I, I really enjoy it. I look forward to it every week. So I'm glad, I'm glad you do too. That's I'm glad we've gained at least one fan here. <laughs> well, and I think there's a lot more people than just me listening to it. I know a lot of other people within the uh, Bulls podcast community have taken notice. And so best of luck with everything. And uh, I'm sure it's going to keep rocking and rolling. But um, I wanted to bring you on to talk about some of these things as we head into training camp, media day. One of the things that I think is going to be lingering a little bit this season is the Zach Levine contract situation. We've seen reports out there, some of the rumors in the NBA rumor mill on on Twitter, which can be kind of dangerous, that, you know, there's teams that are on the peripherals waiting to see how the situation is going to play out in Chicago. Before you came on, I said that Zach sees what's going on here. He sees that the front office is, is trying to build a situation around him. And they've done a lot to improve this team. They've brought in a coach in the last year that's trying to get the most out of his game. And they put players on the floor this offseason that should help him take another step up. So I think he knows that that they're showing him love, and I think he will re-sign. But how long do you think the Zach Levine contract situation is going to linger, at least from a national perspective? You know, unfortunately, I think it's going to linger until the moment the uh, the ink dries um, on, on, the, on mm-hmm. that contract. Now, you're right, Matt. The, Zach Levine has given the Bulls zero reason to think he's not going to re-sign. They had the option this offseason – to try and extend him or to try and renegotiate and max his contract and then extend it. Um, but he has the ability to make more money as a free agent this, this coming off season with the bulls. And if he makes like an all NBA team or something, you know, he has the potential to make more money down the road. So I think Zach wants his money. And as long as the bulls, you know, because you remember almost four years ago, now the bulls didn't give the, give him the contract he wanted, obviously a different regime was in power, uh, but the Kings went, and he signed an offer sheet with the Kings and then the Bulls matched. But you could tell he he was a little perturbed by that. And so I think he he doesn't want to mess around this time. But I have every every confidence that, as you mentioned, the Bulls put the team around him to maximize his potential and to say, listen, Zach, you're the guy and we're building around you. Something that the Bulls failed to do, I think, with Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, with the old regime. So I but I, I do think as long as Zach Levine is great. And there's at least some possibility that he's going to part ways with the team or, or be a free agent. You know, we've seen a lot of these stars recently just extending with their current teams and the free agent market, like the 2021, 2022 plan always dries up like six to eight months before the season, the season ends. So, you know, with Zach, we're not gonna be able to do that. So I think we're going to hear those rumors until the very end, but I'm, I'm pretty confident as long as we don't like, <laughs> As long as we're not in the lottery this season, 
I think he's going to resign with us. I said this before you hopped on too. It would have to be an implosion of massive proportions, I think, for Zach not to come back. Because, again, like everything is setting up for at least this team to take some step up. And I think even the front office showed not only Bulls fans, but they showed Zach too. Like they're willing to be aggressive. So if things don't pan out, like let's say they don't they don't make a, a run to the second round. Let's say they get bounced in, you know, the play-in tournament. I mean, you, you think they're just going to sit on their hands and see what happens the next year? It wouldn't surprise me if they try to make another move or make some type of trade or sign and trade to, to improve the situation. Like, I think they've shown that they want to be aggressive. They want to keep improving the situation each offseason if they get a chance. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's one of the reasons we saw with the Lowry Markin deal, they brought in Derek Jones Jr. on a one-year expiring contract rather than Larry Nance. You know, with, with Larry Nance, he's got another year on his deal. Maxi Kleba was kind of a, a target for them as well that they ended up not taking. So I think with Derek Jones Jr. and his, you know, nine and change million dollar contract, there's some flexibility. There were also rumors that at some point the Bulls are interested in Pascal Siakam. So I have no doubt that this front office has shown that when they want their guy, they go out and get their guy. They did it with Billy Donovan, did it with Patrick Williams, did it with DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball. I mean, the the pending investigation has not resolved itself. So we may <laughs> get some uh, lose some draft equity for that one specifically. But I, I have no doubt that if the Bulls see a need that needs to be filled and they have the opportunity and assets to do it, they're going to go after it. Absolutely. And you brought up the the moves made this offseason with DeMar and Lonzo. And I actually wanted to ask you this question because I know I've kind of wavered back and forth on who I think is going to have the biggest impact. They're both going to have a big impact, like well aware of that. But who do you think is going to have the biggest impact just on this roster in 2022? Is it going to be Lonzo Ball and what he can bring playing off the ball or full court as a facilitator? Or is it going to be DeMar DeRozan in terms of what he can do, creating his own shot and facilitating in the half court? Yeah, I think it's, I, I'm i with you, Matt. I've kind of gone back and forth since you proposed this question to me. But I really think that it's probably going to be DeMar. But if you, if you look at the Bulls roster last season and their biggest struggles, the biggest struggles we had on the roster, we were dead last in free throw attempts as a team. And we were 27th in turnovers out of 30. And now that improved. We were actually 30th or 29th before the trade. And after we got Vooch, they went down a bit. Um, but the other thing is the half-court creation. Now, Zach Levine really, really improved as a playmaker. He was especially, he was like the second most efficient playmaker in trap situations because he had guys like Thad and Wendell and then later uh, with, with Vooch to be able to kind of be a pressure release valve for him. But he he really improved a lot. But you notice, especially in clutch situations, down the stretch, everyone knew that Zach Levine was the guy taking the shot. And there were, you know, even though his efficiency, even though his numbers and clutch numbers were high, the efficiency was lower and there were lots of turnovers involved. So that's where DeMar, I think, can really have an impact. He's been the most efficient isolation score in the league the last two years in the clutch. And so the reason he's so good at it is he has tremendous rim pressure and he draws free throws and especially uh, shooting fouls. He draws them at the 99th percentile in the league according to cleaning the class. So he's really a guy that you can put the ball in the hands in his hands in late situations and, and ask him to get you a bucket. And he also has a really, really low turnover rate. So having him 
as an option next to Levine and having Vooch there, I think is going to maximize all three and going to make Levine more efficient in the clutch, which is really, in my mind, one of the only one of the only things that I think Zach Levine can really improve on is that kind of crunch time efficiency and in decision making this year. That's something that I've actually thought about a lot lately when looking at his numbers, DeMar DeRozan's. And I actually do think we could see a lot of situations where he could be the guy with the ball in his hands in late game situations more than Zach Levine, which I mean, it's crazy to think about given where we were, you know, less than a year ago with this team. And like, that was your, your best option. But I think like, just to me, this was, I thought a very underrated signing and, and a lot of the national media has just trashed it unbelievably. And I've, I'm not sure what other people are seeing. I think he's coming off of one of his most efficient and best years in San Antonio and I get that he's a little older, but it's not like his skill set is eroding by any means. So I, I've been a little perplexed why there's been a lot of angst and teeth gnashing on on that signing by the Bulls. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think a lot of the national media is focused on the contract and the assets that we had to give up to get him in the first place, which I agree. I mean, you always want to pay as little as possible. And Thad was a valuable player and a first-round pick is always tough to give up. You know, and the contract is more than what I, at least I had thought that he was going to get in the market. But you got to look, I mean, the, the the market's not liquid. Not It's not like you can just pick a player in 2K that fits your team and then sign them for, you know. <laughs> the, the market for half-court creators was Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. And that was basically it. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think we really had an opportunity to get Kyle Lowry. And so the Bulls went out and got the best point guard, that best half-court creator on the market. And, you know, really didn't give up anything of significant value to it. We did recoup that first back in the Lowry marketing trade, which that's the re- one of the reasons they traded that instead of Lowry is because they felt like they had another deal for Lowry. But I, I think DeMar's really going to have a great on-court impact, even if the contract isn't, you know, as sexy as you'd like it to be. But you mentioned, Matt, as well taking the ball out of Zach's hands in clutch situations. And it seems counterintuitive because you want the ball in your best hands, in the best player's hands most of the time. But I do think that putting the ball in DeMar's hands unlocks one of Levine's most elite skills, which is his cutting ability. He was the second most efficient cutter uh, in points per possession in the entire league last year behind only Anthony Davis. And so having that sort of gravity, not only as a three-point shooter, because he's obviously an excellent tough three-point shooter and he, he also has an incredible ability to get to the rim and, and cut so i i think it's going to be a really great thing overall i mean the defense is another thing that people are concerned about but i think with the additions of lonzo and caruso and some of the wings we added i, I think we've mitigated a lot of that and, and we also have the ability to stagger those lineups in the regular season at least and kind of mitigate that yeah and you know you brought up an interesting point there about him in clutch situations and Zach being able to, to cut to the basket. That's one of the DeMar's most underrated skills is a facilitator in the half court. And, and one other thing too, if we look at, at the team that won the NBA title this year, Milwaukee Bucks, um, think about who had the ball a lot in late game situations. It wasn't always Giannis. It was Chris Middleton had the ball in those late game situations. So it's, it's not bad when your Robin has the ball in his hands. Um, you mentioned staggering lineups a little bit there. 
it's one of the one things that I can't wait to see Billy Donovan do in preseason and as we get into the regular season because I don't think we're going to see a lot of scenarios where you're going to have like a long stretch with the second unit on the floor or a long stretch with the first unit on the floor. I think there's going to be a lot of staggering in and out with some of these lineups. And I just wanted to pick your brain on this because you have Kobe White. You have the addition of Alex Caruso. You have uh, Tony Bradley. I am blanking on, oh, Troy Brown Jr. I was going to say, I always blank on him. You know, the, the mid the midseason acquisition last year, and it's just it always never, never can stick with me. Troy Brown Jr. and then a couple of the the athletic wings that both Stanley and and uh um why am I blanking on this other one? Um, Alizé Johnson. Alizé Johnson, thank you. Jeez. Yeah, I'm I you could tell this is being recorded on a Monday. <laughs> Sorry. But there's some intrigue with that bench because it uh you know, for the most part, an athletic bench. There's there's good defensive prowess on that bench. Maybe not as much with Kobe, but I'm actually curious. Like, who do you think is the key catalyst in that second unit? That's a that's a tough question. I think the most important player to the team overall is going to be Alex Caruso, just because of what he brings defensively and as a secondary ball handler, and 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 as an outside shooter, he's really improved his shooting. This is tough because I think. It's it's between Kobe White and Troy Brown Jr. for me because Kobe White is finally going to get the specialized role that I know he can do well in as a you know catch and shoot shooter, as a connective passer, and not having to play him at the point of attack on defense is going to improve his defensive ability as well in that in that second unit. So I think he's really primed for success. I'm sad about the shoulder injury. I wish he had had a full off season to really work on his game as much as he would have liked to, um, which I think makes Alex Caruso's role all the more important in the early season as he's still out. But I think Troy Brown Jr. is going to be a really key cog in that bench. And and his shooting is going to be a swing skill there. He has not been consistent as a shooter in his career so far. He's had some flashes. He was great in the bubble. But he's a really, really good secondary and connective passer as well. We, he showed a lot of flashes at the point of attack on defense and as a help defender this year. He can kind of guard – he's a three, but he can guard one, two, and three, I think, pretty effectively. If you guys want to see a specific game, watch him against uh, – he guarded Kyrie Irving at the point of attack at one point during the season, which I thought was one of his best showcases. Um, and, you know, we haven't really had a lot of great small forward wing-type players on this roster in the last few years. He's going to be – a really key piece to allow Patrick Williams, DeMar DeRozan, and Alizé Johnson to play bigger in the front court um, because they're kind of more wing players. But we really need him to kind of lock down that three spot. So I think he's going to be that. I, and I know you said you forgot his, you kind of forgot his name. I've done that too. I think by midseason, we're going to know his name really, really well. And I hope it's for a good reason. I remember the the day that the signing was made too because I, I saw, you know, first it, the news had came out about Stanley Johnson and Stanley Johnson's always been somebody I, I was intrigued by when he got drafted and it was in the middle of his rookie season. I thought, Oh man, this guy actually could be like Jimmy Butler 2.0 and it never came to fruition. He's just been a deep rotation specialist, but the Alizé Johnson one was very intriguing because you kind of saw what the plan B was when Paul Millsap went off the board that Eversley and Karnaschovas wanted to go with just more, 
athleticism at the wing spots and at in the front court. It is nice though because I do like the versatility that Billy Donovan can roll with, like wheeling different pieces in and out, in and out. And I kind of like that with with some of these pieces that are on the bench. Real quick, you brought up Kobe White. That's not being talked about, I feel like, enough. Just how big some of these moves could benefit Kobe White. I, like you, wish he was healthy for this because we forget he didn't have a full offseason last year because of COVID. We didn't really have, like, they didn't have the ability to get with Billy Donovan and his staff during any of that offseason because everything was so quick. And now, you know, he's got to deal with rehab, but this is the perfect situation for him because he can finally do what he does best. He doesn't have to be forced into this square peg round hole situation trying to play point guard. He can actually be that combo guard. And I think he's going to make his way into a lot of scenarios potentially where he could be maybe thrown in if he's catching a heat or closing games out. I think there's some interesting lineup combinations that Billy Donovan can come up with with Kobe White. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I'm always slow to pigeonhole a player into a specific role. So I, I don't want to say that the role Kobe White is going to play this season is going to be his foreseeable you know, ceiling as a player. I, I think he has a lot more skills than that. But I... I think this puts him in a position to grow organically and to focus on what he's really good at this season and have those other skills come along more slowly. And I, I think Patrick Williams is in a similar position now that he's been kind of moved to the four to really grow organically because we see a lot of flashes with him as well. But having him be focused on the defensive end and his catch and shoot, uh, you know, corner catch and shoot, cutting to the basket because we know he can really do those things really well. That will, I think, allow him to be a more important and better piece down the line. And so I, I would say the same for Kobe and, and, and Pat. They're in great positions this year to succeed. You know, have you ever noticed that, too, because you bring up growing organically? I've noticed with Patrick Williams, when he is getting his shot early, it seems like the rest of his game is almost flawless. And it's the same thing with Kobe White. When Kobe White's scoring and doesn't overthink, it's like everything else is clicking. Defensively, some things are clicking. Him facilitating on offense, it starts to click. Like, I just feel like it's a confidence issue. And, and like, that's a big part of development in the NBA more than anything is your confidence level. Yeah, for sure. I know, I know, it can, as Bulls fans, we kind of know it as the Stacey King meme, right? He's always talking about confidence in players, but it's true. It's, it's a really essential aspect. And even if you're just playing pickup, you make that, you see that first shot go down, the whole game becomes easier for you. And as you said, you think less. And so it's not just good for these players. I think it's good for any NBA player. And if you can do that consistently on a night to night basis, those flashes become consistency and that consistency becomes stardom, you know, and, and uh, you become a great role player to a star player to a superstar player in the, in the NBA. Continuing along the line of, of lineups, I wanted to get your thoughts on what we could see to close out games. So I want to get your thoughts on two potential lineup combinations. What do you think is a defensive lineup that we could see close out games? And what do you think is a lineup that could be used when scoring pop is needed to close out games? So defensively, I think, I think you really want Alex Caruso out there. I think he's your best defender, individual defender and as a team defender and Lonzo ball. Um, if you, I'd, I'd also put Troy Brown jr. There. So if you had, Caruso, Lonzo, Torbound Jr. all in the front court or on the back court. And then Patrick Williams, I think, is 
I, I'm hoping this is a little bit of projection, but I, I'm hoping he can take on that role because he's shown a lot of flashes and he's got the size and ability. But I think having him at the four, the five is where I'm a little, I'm a little iffy. My initial thought would just be to put the center in there, Tony Bradley, but I almost kind of want to put Alizé Johnson or Stanley Johnson as kind of like a small ball five and just have that whole defense be really switchable. So I guess it will depend on who they're playing. You know, if it's Joel Embiid, I'm not going to risk a small ball lineup, but if, you know, if they're playing the Warriors, then, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's going to be matchup dependent, but if there's not a dominant big out there, I think that's probably the lineup I'd go with. I'd have those four and then either Stanley or Alizé Johnson at the five. And then, Hmm. I mean, yeah, real quick, if you don't mind, I just want to jump in real quick. I, would you be opposed though to just saying at that point like, "Hey, Vooch, just stick your hands up in the air"? Like, I I feel like I would I would just default to that. Just if, if I had to go up against some of those bigger centers in the East, like I do worry about Tony Bradley. He's you know he's good, but I mean he's just he's not my like definition of you know the long kind of rim protecting center. I mean he's, he's he can block shots, but he's not. I mean I, I wouldn't put him up there with like against those guys like Embiid or some of the bigger centers like cat. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you actually. I, I, maybe I'm just thinking of if you just literally just need a stop, but this is, if we're talking real lineups, I, I think Vooch is, gives you a, a better, a better overall out, uh, outlook on that. I agree. I think Vooch has been, and now, now I'm guilty of it now uh, of underrating his defense a little bit. I think he, he's not super quick. He can't play in a lot of different defensive schemes. But he's a big body and he's smart. He knows where to be. And on that, especially on that initial drive, he's in the right spot more often than not. And as you said, just throwing your hands up against those guys is is going to be a pretty effective. So, yeah, I, I would not be opposed to putting Vooch out there um, if it weren't a small ball lineup. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, and I, I hate to use this term because it's got a negative connotation, but it is kind of like lipstick on a pig because that at that point <laughs> you – well, I mean, think about it because, like, you got Caruso out there, you have Lonzo out there, you have Troy Brown Jr. out there, you have Patrick Williams, you know, rolling at the four. At that point, like, just put the tallest guy you got. I feel like it, it would work. No, I agree. And, you know, if they're getting all past all four of those guys, you know, more power to them at that point. But, yeah, I think <laughs> I actually think the defense has been a little underrated overall. And we've got probably 12. 11 or 12 out of those 15 guys on the roster that I think are plus defenders. And then, you know, Zach and Vooch, I think can work well within a system. They're not great individual defenders, but they work well in a system. You know, Kobe and DeMar have a lot of work to do, but I have a lot of faith that Kobe can, can get there. I think he took on a little bit too much responsibility um, and his role changed very much last year, both on both ends of the floor. So I think we're going to see a lot more from him this year. Mm -hmm. And then, sorry, I, I interrupted it, but the offensive lineup that you would roll with to close it out. This one's tough. Um, this one's tough. I mean, you got to have Vooch, Damar, and Zach out there. I think there's no question. And then it's, you know, like Kobe's, I think Kobe's a strong consideration here. But I might go, I'd put Lonzo there and I might do Caruso. No, nah, if, it, if it's just, if you just need a bucket. Yeah, I'd put Kobe at the one, Zach two, Lonzo three, Damar four, and Vooch five. I think that's probably your going to be your best bet to get a bucket at the end of a game. And I mean, we've seen Demar Derozan 
last few years kind of slide into this like hybrid four role at times. So it would make perfect sense. And I was going to ask if you had to get a bucket and Kobe's on a heater, who are you sacrificing? So you're, you're sacrificing Patrick Williams in that case. I I think so. Yeah. I just, I trust Kobe's catch and shoot ability more than I do Pat's right now. And that may change by the end of the year. I hope it does. I mean, I hope he, he looked really nice in summer league from, from three. He, his shot looked a little bit more fluid, got it off quicker and was more confident in taking it. Like a lot of times last year, as you know, you'd watch him kind of pump fake and then he'd take a step in and take a long two, which he's also good at, but I, I really wanted to see him catch and shoot, catch and shoot. Kobe's already, I mean, he and Zach set the record this, this last year. So he, he's definitely got the skill set for that. You know, I actually, um, I'm going to go a little off the original agenda I had with you and, and ask you a question. I asked Mark Karen Zulis on last episode of, of the podcast is, do you have an expectation level this year for, for Patrick Williams? Like what would you like to see out of him in year two? Oh man. Um, I think we're really going to need his, his weak side rim protection. Vooch for as capable as he is, as a big man, I, I think rim protection specifically is something that he's never been good at. And we don't have a lot of other options right now on the roster for that, that kind of skill set. So I think, Watching his rim protection improve, he showed it a lot at Florida State uh, when he was there. But he's going to be really key for that. And then he—I mean—he shot 39% from three last year. So I'd like to see his attempts go up. But if he can have his attempts go up to three, four, five a game and maintain that that over league average efficiency, I think you're going to see a lot of growth there. I mean, I know. Like, I don't expect it to be like Mikhail Bridges or something next year, but that's kind of the the type of role I see him having this next year. And I think he's yeah. got he's got more playmaking juice than Mikhail does. Obviously, he's not the defender yet that Mikhail is, but I think defensively that's going to be his role. And then offensively, he's probably going to be fifth banana in that starting lineup as far as you know the offensive hierarchy. He's going to have to make his take and make his shots when he's open, and he's going to have to be moving off the ball getting those cuts, setting those screens, getting other guys open. So I I have a lot of confidence in him, to be honest. I'm not really worried about Patrick Williams. I think he's got it. I just think he needs more experience and more playing time, and I think he's in a great role to do that this season. Well, to go back to a previous point you made, I feel like when you talk about that like organic growth, it's a good situation to be in now to do that because the pressure's off of you with the other guys you have on the offensive side of the floor at least for that part of his game. And I feel like any kind of production you get from him is just gravy and that could help pick up his confidence. So yeah, it, it will be kind of interesting to see see what happens this year. I want to end on this question. It's a question I think like everybody's obligated to ask when you do a podcast <laughs> before the season starts about expectations for 2022. If you had to give me like your, your ceiling for this team and floor, uh, what would it be? for the Chicago Bulls in 2022? Man, this is a really tough question, actually. it's I know it's one that's expected, and I've probably answered before on my own <laughs> podcast or others, but I feel like I fluctuate on this answer all the time just because the, the East right now, and especially the playoff teams in the East, it's like 12 deep of people that of teams that yeah. think they're going to make the playoffs. And you know, even getting that 10 seed is going to be difficult. There's going to be a couple of teams that are really disappointed, but realistically, I mean, the offensive talent that we have 
I believe in it. I believe it's a it's a top five offense potentially this year. The concern I have is how long does it take to gel? Because we're bringing in a lot of new players. Zach and Vooch didn't get to play much last year. DeMar's going to change the offensive system a lot because of his playmaking ability. Lonzo the same way. So, and they've got a pretty brutal stretch early on. So I think those are going to be really key. Like, you know, if, you know, if this team is 500 after the first month and a half or better, you know, I'm like, okay, like bring me a top four seed or something like that. But I, I think it's going to, I think it's going to take some time to gel, but I do think that this team ceiling wise, I think they can be a top five offense and their offense. If it's that elite, I think is going to help shore up their defense. And I think if they can be in the top half defensively, I think they're going to be a really, really strong regular season team. I think they'll be, you know, top five, top six team. As far as the ceiling, I mean, the seeding is weird because you got teams like the Nets and the Bucks and the Sixers who probably don't care so much about, you know, home court advantage or how many wins they can rack up because they know that they've got playoff chops for this. Whereas teams like the Knicks, you know, the Knicks are going to gun for it because they got Tom Thibodeau as their coach. I think the Pacers have something to prove. The Hawks have something yeah. to prove. So you're going to get teams like that that are going to vie for those seeds. The Miami Heat are, is another one. So, but I, I could see the Bulls ending up in one of those top, you know, few seeds just because their offense is, has the potential to be so great. Even though I don't think as a playoff squad, they're quite as potent as some of those, some of the other top teams. Um, as far as the floor, Man, it, it, it's really hard to see this team missing the plan. It really is. And I think, as you mentioned in the beginning, it would be an unmitigated disaster if we did not make the playoffs this year. So I would say, you know, if we're if we're the seventh or eighth seed and we convincingly make it into the, the playoffs, you know, I think that's realistic um, and probably pretty likely just because of how strong the East is. But if it's less than that, we're in trouble. Yeah. And it, it is an interesting conference this year because, like, you know, you, you brought up the Nets, the Bucks, the Sixers, although I, the Sixers I'm I'm still uncertain with because of the whole Ben Simmons situation. It's like just this giant collection of very similar teams. You know what I mean? Like just a, a bunch of, like, really competitive teams that you have in there, like the Knicks, the Celtics, the Hawks. You know, the Hawks were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, but, you know, you're still kind of not sure they – is that what they really are, or did they benefit from a lot of things kind of going their way? It's it's going to be very fascinating to to see this season how it goes in the East. I'm excited. I can't wait. As you, I mean, there's there's a lot of teams going for it, but I do think I don't know how, but I really think Zach Levine's going to take another step this year. I think the USA Team USA experience was really really important for him. We saw defensively. Uh, Mm-hmm. Him being really effective. I mean, he was probably their best defender, best perimeter defender outside of Drew Holiday on that team. And this is a team of like, you know, all NBA style players. So if if he can take on some more defensively now that the offensive load is a little bit lighter, I just, man, if he ends up being like a top 15 player this year, the Bulls are going to be in a really, really good spot going forward. Well, and the thing is, every year he's been with the Bulls he always gets better every single season. And like you, I, I kind of think it's going to be on the defensive end of the floor. Like, I think that's where we actually might see some positive gains this year. And, and that would be huge for, for not only him, but for this team, if he takes that step up and can show you that, 
you know, I mean, he doesn't have to be the most elite defender in the league, but if he shows you that he can be a formidable defender, you know, that, that's going to go a long way with, with this team next year. Chris, real quick, where can people find the podcast and follow you and your co-host on Twitter? Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on. It was, it was a blast. You're a great host. You ask great questions. I'm learning from you how to be a better like host to, to our guests. So thank you for that. That was, that was wonderful. Yeah. Well, real real quick, before before you keep going, see, the thing, though, that you don't want to do as a host, don't forget key members of the bowl. <laughs> you know, you don't want to forget Alizé Johnson in the midst of, of a podcast. That usually doesn't go over well. Listen, I've, I've done it. There's video evidence of me doing it. Uh, I've, I think I've forgotten coaches' names, key, like all-star players' names. It's, it's been bad. So I, I, I don't fault you at all. Uh, for that but no you've been a gracious host um if you want to follow me on twitter i'm at kla hoops i try not to tweet you know during like the weekday usually uh in the evenings on the weekend and especially when the bulls get going Uh, i i I love interacting if you have questions comments just fun memes i (laughs) i'm uh, i'm too old for twitter but i still love it and the the bulls 101 you can catch us so saturday nights it's the Barroom Network that that hosts us. So the Twitter feed of Barroom Network will have a live feed, a live video feed on Saturday nights at 11 p.m. Central, which I know is a little late. If you can't catch it live, you can also find it on YouTube or Twitch on, under the Barroom Network as well. If you can't catch it live, you can find it in podcast form and anywhere you get your podcast. Just look up Barroom Network. They've got a, you know, a bunch of different shows, including our friend Salim Suterwala, who recently join the the barroom network with bulls gold um and you can find us there and uh that's about it and yeah and and make sure and follow my co-host laro golden at underscore laro hoops he is uh, he's always doing like little film breakdowns really really just great knowledge of the game and and just a good guy well like i said earlier keep up the great work and you know, I encourage everybody here that listens to Rebuildable, give Bulls 101 a listen. That's one of the best things. When the Bulls are good, people can't get enough of the content. You want to get more info, more opinions, more insight from people. So it's good that the Bulls are turning a corner and you're getting into this at the right time. So keep up the good work and we'll definitely have you on again soon. Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.